What's up, everybody? Good morning again. Good to see you. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're back in our series going through the book of Matthew. Um, I was told by a scoundrel is what we've been calling it because it's written by a guy who was known as a bit of a scoundrel at the time, Matthew, the tax collector. Um, Lately, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. We will be picking up the pace soon, um, but lately we've been really camped out in the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7, which is where Jesus talks about what it means to have the character of the kingdom, to, to have the character of the kingdom of God, to have his character put in us by his spirit when we trust in him. So it's really uh, addressed to those who belong to Jesus. If you belong to me, he's saying, this is how it should be uh, shaping and changing your character. Um, he, he calls us salt and light. You are to be salt and light in this world. The world is a dark world, and you are to be light in that world. And then he started to get into specific topics. Um, there was anger. He talked about freedom from anger a few weeks ago. How God doesn't just want us to manage the external behaviors of, of anger and, 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 you know, not flip out on the road. He wants us to get to the root of our anger and rip that out. He wants us to be free from the shame and the, the need to be in control and the entitlement that leads to anger. How many people a few weeks ago felt like God was saying, okay, this is something I, I, want, I want to see you grow in? Anybody? Okay. Okay, good, good number of you guys. Then we talked about worry, freedom from worry. How he wants us to be uh, free from worry. Responsible with our stuff, responsible with our kids, yes, but not worrying, trusting him, seeking first his kingdom and trusting that he'll add everything else that we need. Anybody feel like he was saying to you, yeah, I want you to grow in this area? Okay, okay. Last week, we talked about freedom from revenge. He wants us to love our enemies, to love those who hurt us, offend us, bother us, get in our way. People at work, our neighbors, our spouses, our ex-spouses, love them, bless them, pray for them. Does anybody feel like, yes, this is an area where you need to forgive somebody? You need to, yeah? Okay. That brings us to today. Freedom from lust. Raise your hand if... (laughs) See, it's a little harder to do that with this one, is it not? It's a little harder to do that with this one because there's more of a stigma to it. We can have groups here at the church for worry or for anger or for revenge, and people would join them, and people would talk about them openly. Hey, I'm in this group. You should get in this group too. Yeah, you know, you're right. I do worry a lot. Maybe I should. But this one, we do have a group for men in this area who are fighting for sexual purity. But it's a little more confidential, it's a little more hush-hush, keeping it secret, you know, it's a, you know, we don't talk about who's in the group openly, and that's because there's a stigma to it. Nobody wants to get labeled a certain way, but it is something that people struggle with, we struggle with. These are red cards that people filled out on Good Friday, areas of sin and, 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 and areas of, of, of weakness and, and pain where we were trusting that Jesus paid for it, and we were nailing them to the cross, and I've had them the last month just kind of praying o- over them, and, and this, this morning, I wasn't planning on even looking at them for this angle, but this morning I, I noticed that lust came up a lot, quite a bit. See, this one says sexual sin. That was one of them that said, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to trust that he paid for this. Take away my addiction to drugs, alcohol, lust. This is a list of things, anxiety, self-pity, lust, unbelief. Hurting my wife, doing what I shouldn't. It doesn't say explicitly anything dealing with lust, but I would guess perhaps. 
Um, so there's quite a few, and I could, go, I could go on and on, but lust is something that we deal with, people deal with. It's an area that Jesus wants to see us get free from. So before I continue with this passage, I, I, I need to remind us of the cross of Jesus, okay? Because some of you are going to be tempted, as I talk about this, to feel condemned and shame. And, and that might, that, if you buy into that temptation, it's going to push you further away from God. Maybe you won't want to come back next week. By the way, if you're here for the first time and this is the topic, I apologize. <laughs> and then others of you are going to be tempted to blow it off. That's archaic stuff. That doesn't matter. There's more important things that we should be talking about. Come on, don't make such a big deal out of this stuff. So long as it's not the, you know, the, the crime, the felonious stuff, it's, it's all good. And so the cross of Jesus challenges both those temptations. The cross of Jesus is where God's perfect holiness and justice and mercy all come colliding together. He sees the ugliness in us. The ugliness that we commit and the ugliness on the inside that we hide from people. It's in our thoughts and in our motives. And he sees it. And he came after us to die for it, to pay for it in his blood, poured over so that we could be covered by it. He basically writes a check with his blood and says, here... This is for the past, present, and future sins that you will commit that is inside of you. And all we got to do is accept that check. That's the gospel. All we got to do is accept it. Now, many times people reject it and say, no, and thanks. I'll pay for things my way. I don't need that. Or I don't need, I don't have a debt any. I don't have a debt to be paid. I'm good. But for those who receive that check, it's covered. Our past, present, and future sins are covered. The anger, the worry, the, the, the vindictiveness in our hearts, the lust, everything else that we're going to be talking, the religious games that we're going to talk about, all of it is covered by his blood. And so if you're tempted to feel condemned as we go through this passage, I, I, I want to make a big distinction. Guilt does not have to lead to condemnation. If you feel guilty, that's okay. You probably are. Guilt should lead you to the cross of Jesus where you receive his comfort and his mercy, and then you can praise him for that. And you don't have to walk out of here feeling condemned, but celebrating his mercy. If you're tempted to blow it off like it's not a big deal, well, he had to die for it. And what he died for, he wants to grow you out of. He doesn't, he doesn't forgive anything that he wants to not grow you out of. Like he, anything that he forgives, he wants to free us from. So if he paid for it, so you could be forgiven from lust and, and the, the, the roots of it. He, he wants to see you grow. And, and so if that's you, if you're tempted to kind of blow it off as we go through this, I pray that you would be a little bothered and made to feel uncomfortable. Made to feel like, ah, all right, I got to do something about this. And then you would be brought to the cross of Jesus and find his comfort. Make sense? I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So, let, let's get into it. A little awkward, but let's get into it. By the way, some of you guys might be wondering why we're we talking about this. It's Baptism Sunday. I was tempted to do something else because it's Baptism Sunday. And midweek, I was like, God, I just felt like I was like, no, stick to what you're going to do. It's, it's right? what, Why not Baptism Sunday? Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, beginning of their spiritual journey. And then he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So everything he's commanded, that includes what we're going to read. So at that, would you stand with me as I read this passage? It's God's word. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. 
it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for, your, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's God's word. You can have a seat. All right. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That was one of the Ten Commandments. And indeed it was said that. God said that. Law of Moses said that. It was taught that. But a lot of fellas, Jesus was uh, specifically talking to men in this context. A lot of fellas thought that, well, so long as I'm not going out and committing the deed, I can engage in the imagination and the fantasy, and that's okay. And Jesus is saying, no. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, that's with, with a lustful intent. That's with the intent of letting my imagination settle on her as an object of my satisfaction and gratification. He's saying anyone who does that is, is guilty of the, the root of that commandment. Doesn't mean it's as destructive as committing the deed. He's not saying that. But he's saying the root of it is something that God wants to free you from as well. And, and, and this applies to men and women. This applies to men and women. For us, it could be a neighbor, it could be a co-worker, it could be somebody else's spouse. It could be a computer screen. It could be a phone screen. It could be those trashy romance novels that maybe some of you read. Some character that you let your imagination settle on, rest on. I wish I had that. I wish I had her, him, that situation. Lust is different than recognizing that someone is attractive. That is okay to do. Hey, that blue dress brings out your blue eyes. That's okay. I don't want us feeling like, oh, I can't say anything about anybody. Like, no, don't, let's not go that far. Like, that, that's okay. Single people, you can ask out single people. That we don't have to accuse you of having, like, it's okay to recognize that someone's physically attractive. God made us embodied creatures. And sex is a gift. It's a gift to be used in the context of a covenant relationship. But it's a gift. Just like wine is a gift. You know, there's scriptures that talk about drink gladly, wine, to be used out of worship to God. We, as broken human beings, abuse that gift. We take something that is meant to be done out of worship to God, and we make it the end of, in and of itself, and it becomes the thing that we idolize and worship. And we've done the same thing with sex. Sex is a gift given by God, not just for procreation, but also for pleasure, to be done in the covenant of marriage. And we have abused that and distorted it, and it has caused destruction. And Jesus says, I want you to be free from that. There's uh, other series we've done on sex in the past. I, I will put links to that in the email today, because all we're doing is teaching this passage. So there's a lot of angles that you guys might be like, well, we didn't cover this, and what about that? Uh, I'll two or three series that we've done in the past. This is not a series about sex. Thank goodness, right, for some of you guys. This is just a one-off because we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. But the point is that just like anger, just like worry, just like revenge, God wants us, if we belong to Jesus, to be free from the hold that lust often has on us. He loves us too much not to want us free from it. Now why? I want to ask the question, why? Why? Does God want us free from lust? It's important. It's four things. Four things for us to grasp, I think. Number one, lust after someone is the opposite of love for them. To lust after somebody 
Not to notice that they're attractive, that's different. But to lust after them is to let your mind settle on and start to imagine and start to fantasize about and start to say, I want that, I wish I had that, it's not fair that so-and-so gets to be married to so-and-so. Or, or you know, a, a screen, this is a world I'm going to live in for the next few minutes. To do that is to not love the one that you're lusting after. It is to treat them as an object. It is to treat them as less than a full human being. We are not less than embodied creatures, but we are certainly more than that. And to lust after someone is the opposite of that. Sometimes we justify it by saying, well, I'm not uh, so far on the end of the spectrum where, you know, sex trafficking and, and, um, you know, uh, child pornography. I'm not guilty of that. That's the crimes. But God's like, there's stuff that is also offensive to me that may not be crimes. Like pornography. It is an epidemic, as many of you know. It's living in a fantasy world where other women or men are simply objects for us to enjoy without having to be committed to them, without having to worry about their soul or even how they ended up on that screen. We don't have to worry about that. Just, just, just exists for me. It is the opposite of love. What did Jesus say? Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It is the opposite of love. I want to go down a quick two-minute tangent on pornography and show you some statistics so that in case you're wondering why are you talking about this with my teenagers in the room. The average age of the first internet exposure is 11 years old. Nine out of ten children ages 8 to 16 have viewed pornography on the internet, mostly unintentional. Largest consumer of internet pornography are kids ages 12 to 17. And 72% of men visit pornographic sites. 28% of those admitting to sexual addiction are women. So in case you think that this is just a problem for men. 47% of Christian families said pornography is a problem in their home. Internet was a significant factor in two out of three divorces. 89% of youth admit to receiving sexual solicitation and electronic communications. That's a big number. And that happens through a lot of means. Not just uh, uh, explicit pornography, but video games and such. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn. I, I, I won't go. Look at number four. In the U.S., internet porn pulls in $2.84 billion per year. Look at the entire worldwide industry, 4.9. The U.S. makes up a great deal of that, doesn't it? So it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. To lust after someone is the opposite of love for them, and pornography is basically a way of secretly doing it without the consequences of actually acting on it. It's a way of hiding. Not to mention that it helps to fund that money that we just looked at. It helps to fund a culture, a worldwide culture of, of, of trafficking and exploitation. At the least, it just helps to fund a culture of uh, objectifying other human beings, but at the most, helps to fund uh, sex trafficking and the things that are crimes. So it's the opposite of love. That's number one. Number two, it leads to dissatisfaction with the one we're married to. 
Lusting after anybody, someone else, another person, a co-worker. I wish I had that. It leads to a dissatisfaction, an ever-growing dissatisfaction with the person that we are, if we're married, I'm talking to married people for a moment, uh, in covenant relationship with. It might be consciously where we're comparing. Why can't she look more like her? Or why can't he look more like the him? Or it could be subconscious. When we engage, when we allow our lustful thoughts to lead to actions, and we gratify those thoughts, it rewires the neurons in our brains. There's a website called Fight the New Drug, fightthenewdrug.org. This is a secular site, not a Christian site, but it shows the science of sex addiction and how it impacts our society, our brains, our families, our relationships. And one of the things it talks about has how it how it rewires our sex addiction will rewire our brains, so that we find less and less satisfaction with real human beings that we're in covenant relationship with, and more in fantasy world. Number three, it steals our joy and peace. It actually robs from us from the joy and peace that God wants us to have. Makes us constantly dissatisfied. Thinking about what am I entitled to? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Why don't I have her? Why don't I have him? Why can't I have something like that? Someone like that? It's not fair. Constantly dissatisfied. Constantly ungrateful. And then when we indulge in it, it leads to shame. Addiction. Shame. A vicious cycle. The shame causes us to say, well then, you know, back off. Isolate. And then the shame leads to us looking to gratify those lustful thoughts all over again. And it's a cycle. At the time that Jesus said this, he, well, he had the science, right? He created science, but he didn't reveal the science to us yet. Science more and more backs up what Jesus says. And, and with this, we know, I'm going to reference that site one more time, fightthenewdrug.org, if you want to go check it out. It talks about how it, uh, it leads to a greater uh, likelihood of anxiety and depression when we engage in sexual addiction like pornography. It steals from us. Here, here's a quote. Here's one quote that I saw on there. Anytime a person spends much time with the usual pornography usage cycle, it can't help but be a depressing, demeaning, self-loathing kind of experience, says Gary Brook, a psychologist who's worked with porn addicts for the last 30 years. Check out that site if you need more convincing and if you think this is just archaic stuff that um, is old-fashioned. Our culture is enslaved to a horrible sex master. Jesus wants us free. Jesus wants us free. Number four, lust declares that we are not grateful for what God has given us, that he is not good, and that he cannot satisfy. And this is the worst of all. It says to God, what you've given me, the lot you've given me in life, whether I'm married or single, is not good. I deserve different. I deserve better. You are not good at being in control. You have not been good to me. That's what it declares. When we let our minds live in that fantasy world, engage in that imaginary world, that's what it declares to God. It says to God, you are not enough. You are not good enough. You cannot satisfy my soul. I need to let my thoughts go here. I want that. If I had that, if I had him, if I had her, I would be more happy. Now, those are the four reasons. If you're feeling condemned or shamed, remember that is not the goal. The goal is Jesus. The goal is grace. The goal is mercy. The goal is freedom. So bear with me. 
That's the why. Now how? How do we break free from that stronghold that lust often is for us? I'm going to kind of go through the same steps I went through when I talked about anger. Our response should be, number one, humility. God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm not above this. I'm guilty. I may not be so far down the spectrum as somebody else, but I'm guilty. I fall short of your glorious standard. Number one. Number two is mourning. Mourning. I want this out. I want this out of me. God, pull this out of me. I don't want this in me no, anymore. I don't want to deal with this. There's a cliche, love the sinner but hate the sin, and it usually refers to the, uh, the sexual perversions of other people. Love the sinner but hate the sin, and, and um, we should really hate the sin in ourselves. We should hate it in ourselves. We should mourn over I want this out of me. More than we're offended by the sins of others, we should be bothered by our own. God, I want this out of me. Because you know what? God hates the sin in us. God loves us and therefore hates the sin in us. Not loves us but hates the sin. He loves us therefore so he hates the sin in us because it steals from us. It robs us and he loves us too much to not leave us there. Any parent ever have a child dealing with addiction and you hate that addiction? I hate addiction. Anybody? Can you say an amen? Anybody been there? Any parent ever have a child dealing with cancer and you hate cancer? God looks at sin because it's like a cancer that eats away at us. And he says, I hate it. I want it out. I want you free. I want you to deal with it. I want you to look at it. And, he's, and he holds up his word as an MRI to say, you got it in you. Now let me go to work like the surgeon that I am and take it out of you. But too often we go, no, 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 I don't want to see the MRI. I, I just want to pretend like I'm fine. I want to pretend like I don't have that cancer in me. Let me just move on. God's like, no, let me show you. You have it. I want to rip it out because I hate it because I love you. I love you too much to leave you there. And we've got to submit to that scalpel. And he wants us to mourn for it. He wants us to say, oh, I want it out. Next is confession. It's just admitting. It's saying what God says about something. God says this is wrong. God says that this is, is something that he wants to free us from. And we confess it. And we say, God, yeah, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it in this way and this way and this way. And we're specific with him. We acknowledge it. And then Repentance. Repentance means to do a 180. I was heading this way, and I'm going to turn. I was trusting in this over here, and I'm going to turn and trust more and fully in you, Jesus. I was looking to this for my source of happiness and joy, and I'm going to turn. And I'm going to trust in you as my source of happiness and joy. That's what repentance is. It means to do a 180. This is why Jesus said, right, he doesn't want us just... What he doesn't want is for us to get in a support group and say, yeah, I struggle with this. Well, I struggle with it too. They're there now. See you next week. Right? He doesn't want it to end on confession. He wants to get to repentance. This is why he said next, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. Throw away your eye. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What's he saying? Is he saying to literally cut off body parts? No. He's using hyperbole. He's saying do whatever it takes do whatever it takes. This is serious. Take it serious. See it the way I see it. Want it out. If it's on your computer, get the filters. If the filters aren't working because you're too technology savvy, I had somebody tell me a few years ago, well, I, you know, on my phone, I'm just, I'm just so savvy with technology, I override my own filters. So, I didn't get a flip phone. 
You know, you can't, I can't check my emails while I'm waiting in line at the bank. Like, that's, right, we have all these excuses and these loopholes. The group that we have for men, maybe, maybe join that group. And if your excuse is, well, I'm busy on Tuesday nights, well, get unbusy. Cut off your right hand. Cut off your eye, right? Do what it takes to be free. A few, a uh, little while ago, somebody in here talked, told me about a, a dream they had about an ex. And they said, can you pray that I don't have any more of those dreams? And I was like, well, did you do something that made them pop in your mind in your dreams? And they're like, no. Like, you didn't, like, look them up on Facebook? No. But they were married, and they were just like, I want to honor my spouse. I don't want to have those dreams anymore. And it's easy to say, well, it was in my dream, so I, I can't be blamed. But th- that's, that's not where their minds were going. They were just saying, I want to be free from something invading my thoughts. Can you pray? And they stopped having them. Let me talk to the dating couples for a moment. Since I don't think it was awkward enough yet. <laughs> dating couples, especially those of you who are planning to get married. Um, we have a number of them in here, so don't think I'm talking to any one particular couple. There are a number of them now. Praise God for that, by the way. It's always worth celebrating. Um, I, I know, I know in, in our thoughts it goes like this. Well, we're planning to get married, so, we're, you know, it's, you know we're, we're having sex, and it's, it's not like, you know, we're not, it's not the pornography, it's not those other things you've mentioned. Um, it's just that, you know, we're planning to get married. And here's what I would say that is. It's saying, I want your body before I'm ready to make a public commitment and vow before God to be committed to your soul and to love you for the rest of your life. Like, well, no, that's not what I'm doing, Pastor Chris. We just have a lot of stuff to, to, to get done first. All right, well, then wait on having, having sex. Now, listen, I say that as somebody who's made those mistakes in the past, going out of order, out of God's design, okay? So I'm, I'm guilty of that. But I can still stand on God's word and say, but his design is better. It's better for us. This, this, is, this is God's order, covenant of marriage, then sexual intimacy. That's his, that's his order. And this is what we do. Well, I'm not ready for marriage yet. Well, why aren't you ready for marriage? Because I got a college. I got to buy a home. I got to get a better job. I got to wait for the perfect venue, which isn't available until 18 months from now. Okay, fine. If, that, if those things are that important, it might be. Put them in that order and go for it. But then what we do is, this is what we do. We say, but then I don't like having to wait that long for the sex. So what if I do this? Rearrange things just a little bit. I do that now, but then those other things are really important. So the covenant of marriage, wait, but the sex part of it doesn't have to wait. That's what we do. Because we say God's order, I know it's sort of good, but God, I'm just going to do a little bit of rearranging. It's going to play God just a little bit. Just one little thing is going to be flipped just, just a little bit. So I would say to you, change it. Make a change. Repent. Do whatever it takes. You might think that's impossible. If I'm talking to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, I would not expect you to listen to anything I'm saying today. But if you're a follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit in you, oh yeah, it's possible. I was talking to a couple recently. They had been dating for a while. They had been living together for a while. And they were asking me about marriage and trying to figure out, should we take that step? And, and I said to them, I said, listen, I'm, like, I'm going to assume you're sleeping together. You're kind of playing marriage anyway. And they said, actually, since we've really committed to following Jesus, we stopped few months ago and we're waiting to see if we get married and when we we do i was like whoa that's hard to do once you're in a rhythm right hard to do hard to stop but by grace god's grace you can do that 
So if you're here and you're like, man, I already made those mistakes, so what, you know, it's never too late to stop and say, you know what, from this point forward, I want to honor God. I want to do it God's way. I want to trust him. I want to trust that his gift of sex will be more enjoyed if I do it his way. I'm going to trust him with this one. And if, that, if you think, well, that makes me weird. We're, we're, you know, we've been dating and we've had it. All of a sudden we're going to stop. Like, uh, that's weird. And yes, compared to the culture, that is weird. You are a weirdo if you do that. That couple who just talked, like, that's a weirdo couple. But so are people who love their enemies. So are people who live in this crazy world of bad news every day and don't get caught up in worry. So are people who, who, who don't hold on to grudges and forgive even people that the rest of the world says, you can have a grudge on that one. And we forgive and we let them. Everything Jesus talks about in the Sermon on that makes us weirdos if we obey it. And he's saying, I want you to be salt and light. Salt and light, you, if you, you just put the word weirdo in front of that. That's kind of what he's saying. I want you to be different. I want you to be so different from the world that they're like, hmm, what's up with that? What's up with them? Who do they live for? What kingdom are they a part of? One more thing. After repentance, I want to mention one more thing. So there's humility, there's mourning, there's confession, there's repentance. And, and this, this kind of goes with repentance, but it's, I just want to take a, one more point that's somewhat different. is worship. Worship. You see, at the end of the day, those who, who fight against lust, those who have victory over it, not perfect victory, l- l- let, me, let me just make that clear. Okay, not perfect victory, you're going to stumble, we know that, God, you know, God knows that, but it's a constant fight and it's a constant trajectory of ever-increasing uh, victory in, in that area. Not perfection starting tomorrow, but what Jesus was saying, when he was using that hyperbole to say, if your right eye causes you to stumble and your, your you know, right arm causes you to stumble, cut it off, it's better for you to you know, enter the kingdom of heaven without an arm than entering hell he wasn't saying if you don't do this perfectly you're heading for hell that's not what he's saying he's not what he's saying because lust doesn't get us into hell lust is a symptom and anger is a symptom and 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 a refusal to love people and and refusal to to forgive those are symptoms of someone who's already headed to an eternity without god somebody who is not being changed heading to for an eternity without god and what jesus is saying is that if you really belong to me, if you really have my spirit at work in you, then you will be continually being changed. Not perfect overnight, but over the course of your life, you will be continually on this trajectory of change and growth and freedom and more freedom and more freedom. And you'll want to fight and you'll want to put things to death. And if there's no desire to fight, if there's no desire, if there's a, a walking out of here going, ah, that stuff is just, I'm just going to do what I want to do and order things the way I want to order things, then it might be that you said a prayer when you were a kid or got baptized, uh, but it was a religious game. Might be. Because at least there'll be a desire, I want to fight this, I want to overcome this. Oh, I'm going to stumble, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to put it to death. I want to repent. There's going to be a desire. And worship is us gazing at. So when we, when we fight against it and there's victory in it, it's not because we're strong. It's because we're filled with faith that God is better. Filled with faith that Jesus is better. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 that says this. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Paul is talking to followers of Jesus here. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God said, let there be light in his heart, in her heart, so that they can see the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, so that they can see Jesus for who he is, the Savior that he is. If you're a Christian, it's because God said, let there be light in Michael's heart so he can see Jesus for who Jesus is. And if we can see Jesus for who Jesus is, we're not going to want to indulge in lustful thoughts and fantasy living. Because Jesus is better. He's better. Now some of us forget that and we stop and we look away. We look away for days or weeks or sometimes months and years. And we go through these seasons. But if we would look back and behold the glory of God displayed in Christ and who Christ is, man, we're not going to want what our lustful thoughts say we want. I want you to picture being at the Grand Canyon. Look at this guy. Whether you've been there or not, that kind of response is what I hope most of us would have. Like, ah, I want to take it in. I want to gaze at it. Look how beautiful it is. How silly would it be if somebody was at the Grand Canyon looking down at their phone at these dirty pictures? Right? You're at the Grand Canyon. You look over. You see somebody that you brought, and they're like looking at their dirty pictures on the phone. You'd be like, what are you you doing? Not only would you say it's wrong, but it's like it's so crazy. It's so unreasonable. It's so silly. You're at the Grand Canyon. Take it in. And Jesus is so much better and so much more awe-inspiring and so much wonder, more wonderful than the Grand Canyon is. And if we could gaze at him, then the hold that lust has on any of us would loosen, would loosen. Doesn't mean we don't still take those steps, but we gaze at him and we take the steps he tells us to take, throwing out our computers, cutting out our phones, Because he's better than even our computers and our phones. Go into our support group that we have available on Tuesday nights. You can go to our website uh, and and go to groups and find out more details about how to get in on that. But I want to just end, before we move on to the baptism, I want to end with just a song. And and songs are one way, not the only way, but they're one way that we gaze upon Jesus with lyrics and singing them, using our mouths to sing them, takes those lyrics from our head to our heart. And so we're going to sing a, a song called King of Kings. And I want to invite you to stand. And, and, and I just want to remind you, if you're, if, 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 if you're sensing, a, uh, you know, if you're feeling a sense of guilt, man, I've, I've been guilty of this. During this time, all I want to invite you to do is confess it to God. And ask him to give you the grace to walk out repentance. Let's pray, Jesus. Jesus, I pray specifically for our teenagers. I pray that you protect them from from some of the mistakes that I made, mistakes their parents made. Protect them from the, the, the things that will rob them, rob their soul rob their peace, rob their joy, hurt relationships, and get in the way of their relationship with you. I pray 
that if there's anything that they're aware of that needs to be repented of, turned away from, that you would give them the grace to do it, as weird as it might make them look to friends, as different as it might make them, give them the grace to want to be different. I pray for the adults in here. God, if there's a, maybe a conversation between couples that need to be had, Maybe if there's a support group that needs to be sought out. Sometimes confessing to another human being helps us to believe that your grace is big when we are accepted and loved by someone else despite the ugliness in our hearts. Most importantly, Jesus, I, I pray that the cross of Jesus would loom big in our hearts. Where we can find grace and mercy in our time of need. May the guilt that is on all our hearts draw us to the cross. Bring us to our knees at the cross and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. In your name, amen. All right, let's sing this song like we mean it, and then we'll move on to our baptism.